District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening and for considering the podcast today. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I hope you had a marvelous Thanksgiving surrounded by loved ones and got to relax and kind of unplug from what is happening in the world. I know I enjoyed and relished some time off, even with my new schedule, but we are going to be offering some nonstop coverage through the holiday season here at District of Conservation. Before I dip into today's podcast, I want to read for you a review that we received recently and encourage you to leave your feedback as well. This comes from a user who calls themselves GPA Jake, and I am never compensating people for podcast reviews, so this is all organic, of course, and he says, very good, very important, always concise and very informative, keep it up. I know some people, who detractors who listen, don't think this is the case, but I've gotten feedback from other people who say that they do find us uh, concise, informative, and to the point, I'm not perfect, nobody is. But I strive to have standards and report both sides, even with my own opinions of certain things. Today's focus, of course, is nuclear energy. You may have clicked on the podcast today and thought, I want to learn more about nuclear energy. It is your lucky day. Nuclear energy, if you don't know, is becoming kind of a more widely accepted energy source. A lot of people see that it is very reliable. It's very clean. It actually produces net zero emissions has a really low carbon footprint, and it doesn't disrupt the electric grid. And I brought on today Georgia Public Service Commissioner Tim Eccles, who will talk more about this in depth, the benefits to it, some of the advances that have been made, especially in his state of Georgia with Vogel Plant Unit 3 and 4, And then we'll also talk about some of the challenges the industry has faced with one reactor, small modular reactor project not coming online in Utah, and then what it will take to actually unleash nuclear, even against the current of regulations, red tape, lack of permitting reform, and why nuclear is the future. I will let Commissioner Eccles take it away from here. Check out the show notes to learn more about the subject, the commissioner, and I would love to hear your feedback on this. Thanks for listening. Commissioner Tim Eccles, thank you so much for joining my podcast. Good to talk with you. Great being on with you today. Thank you. Could you describe your position with the Georgia uh, PSC and what your responsibilities are as a commissioner? Yes, every state has a PSC or PUC, but only 11 states elect commissioners. So that puts these elected commissioners across the U.S. in kind of a unique situation. The average term for a public service commissioner is about 4.3 years. I'm in my 13th year And I have a number of colleagues that are approaching a decade or they're over a decade. So it does give elected commissioners a longer time to learn uh, all the, you know, the players, the process uh, and, and make longer range plans. That's a big part of our job is to do grid planning, overseeing regulated utilities, in our case, Georgia Power, Atlanta Gas Light, about 41 uh, EMCs, and a lot of small phone companies. 
And one of the projects you're really excited about, or one of your specialties and passions is nuclear energy. That's how we first became connected recently. Why are you so passionate about nuclear energy? And can you briefly describe it and what its benefits are for those who may be unfamiliar? I know there may be some people unfamiliar, so it would be good to have an explainer. Nuclear plants are normally uh, out of sight, out of mind for most Americans, but they have been supplying about a quarter of the electricity across America for for some time. Uh, we have almost 100 nuclear plants running across the, the United States. Georgia has now uh, five units and soon to be our sixth unit online. I think it's important because it's carbon-free energy. And that wasn't as important when they were built, uh, but it's certainly baseload power without the burden of coal ash or uh, greenhouse gases. So uh, in some ways, it really is a complementary with solar and batteries, especially. And what other benefits? I was reading on the um, Nuclear Energy Institute website that it's actually really good for national security purposes um, and many, many other facets of life, even outside of the energy component. I think all of us probably saw uh, during the Ukrainian conflict, the Russians were uh, were firing at a Ukrainian nuclear plant that supplied quite a bit of power in the region. Uh, and of course, Russia and Ukraine, they have uh, a, a number of nuclear plants. China is building 26 of them along their eastern shore. I think with the focus on global climate change uh, and decarbonization, that Nuclear across the world is getting more and more attention because we're adding more load, more electric load through electrifying things like cars and buses and drage trucks. And so by having a baseload energy source that's carbon free, we're able to grow into the future and retire existing coal and nuclear plants as we move towards uh, a net zero world. And you were alluding to Georgia Power's Vogel Plants Unit 3 and 4. Uh, unit 3 is currently online, and I believe you told me before that Unit 4 will probably come online sometime next year. The Department of Energy said in July that Unit 3 will power about half a million homes and businesses. And I believe uh, their records also show that final stages of construction and testing um, could be expected probably early 2024. So talk about this milestone and how Georgia is embracing nuclear in this capacity and what these uh, units mean. Well, it's certainly been a challenge for us. Uh, these were approved back in 2008 uh, with a special provision from our legislature, and then the commission approved them in 2009. Dirt began to be moved in 2010. And then, of course, the Fukushima accident happened in Japan which essentially canceled every plant in America that had been uh, ordering the AP-1000 reactors from Westinghouse except Georgia and South Carolina. Both of our states continued building twin units. They were moving along at the exact same rate and, and progressing in the same way until the Westinghouse um, bankruptcy in 2017 and South Carolina decided to cancel their project, which which left only Georgia. We moved forward with the motion that I did in 2017 to finish the project, and 
by God's grace, we finished Unit 3, and, and Unit 4 will be on in the first quarter of 2024. So it's been very difficult. And I, frankly, I don't think the financing uh, mechanism or strategy or scheme that the U.S. is currently using for nuclear plants will will work for the future. It's just too risky. They cost too much. And I, I can't think of any other commissioners across America that would approve a project like this without a federal backstop guaranteeing that the projects wouldn't go over X amount. So I think we've got a lot of work ahead of us, and I'm hoping that the Congress will reapportion part of the IRA and turn it into a forgivable loan or some kind of federal backstop for nuclear in the future, whether that's a big one like we built or a small modular reactor like TVA is planning on building, which is about a quarter of the size of our unit. We'll talk more about some of the challenges for bringing nuclear offline in a bit, Um, but there was a setback we had talked about before recording um, pertaining to a joint venture by Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems and New Scale Power. They terminated their carbon-free power project uh, that was aimed at building the world's first nuclear, New Scale, excuse me, small modular reactor. Does that set back nuclear temporarily, the whole industry as a whole, or is it just, you know, a, a blip kind of in the process, like you said, with, with kind of the regulations hamstringing this from coming online? It's more than the blip. It's certainly going to set set the industry back. It could bankrupt New Scale, although they're obviously not saying that. These municipal utilities, they're small. They don't have the load that, say, a state of Georgia has or a state of Arizona has uh, or even, you know, a state like um, like Colorado nearby. So I, I told a federal official yesterday that they should move heaven and earth to, con- to finish the New Scale project and find other customers, even uh, allowing some of the larger utilities in the region to just sign a power purchase agreement with with uh, the new scale reactors there on a federal facility on a national lab site. Uh, I just think you can't have this kind of stoppage uh, and and expect things to go go on as normal. Uh, there's just so few possible customers uh, for a nuclear plant. You, the federal government in this case, really needs to to step up and using either DOE, Department of Energy, or the Department of Defense, some some federal mechanism if we're really serious about moving forward with nuclear energy. I think more Americans across the board are seeing that nuclear energy is very reliable um, at zero emissions, of course. Yet, as we were talking about, um, few projects are being approved because of regulatory roadblocks um, and things not being able to be scale- scaled um, because there are certain limitations uh, by federal law or whatever um, currently in place. So is it something attributable to not having reforms to NEPA, outdated permitting laws? What could really um, pivot uh, more, I would say, to the direction of nuclear energy, seeing more projects online? online? What What is your thinking into that? What could be done? Well, if a company like Westinghouse, and the audience can think about just what a stalwart and large company that is. If a company like that can be bankrupted, voiding the fixed and firm contract that they had with a company like Southern Company, which is a gold-plated utility uh, you know, here in America, and they own 
Mississippi Power, Alabama Power, and Georgia Power. If Westinghouse can be bankrupted, what entity is safe to do business with? For me, only the federal government has the ability to back up a project like this. I, I, I just wouldn't trust another contract with anyone moving forward without a federal backstop. And I, I have a feeling that there are commissioners from smaller states like Alabama, Mississippi, Oklahoma, that wouldn't either. And then what about the blue states, states like California, Michigan, Illinois, New York, that's already been a little bit skeptical about nuclear energy and they're warming up to it. They know they need it in order to meet their decarbonization goals. But are they willing to enter into such a risky financial uh, scheme or, or, or contract with name the company? I, I just I, I just don't think we've got the assurances that we need for another state to step forward and build a nuclear project. That's interesting because I've, I've heard that private investment is usually a good vehicle. Um, and, and, you know, be, me being idealistic, I would like to see largely the private sector uh, take a lead here. But you don't think the private sector one day could potentially lead on the nuclear front or it's just too risky at this point? I think an Amazon, a Dow, Dow Chemical says they're going to build small modular, a small modular reactor on their property in Texas. I, I think that's an option. Um you know, and Amazon. What about the folks that really need the the data centers, like Google and Microsoft? What about the crypto companies that are using an enormous amount of energy? I I think it is possible that you could build small modular reactors in the private sector and let them take most of the risk. Yeah, you could have a a tax credit for them or something like that. But I don't think they would require the kind of protection that I'm looking for now. So I do have hope that uh, that you know that the that the commercial uh, or free market sector will be able to move forward with small modular reactors. I just think it's going to delay uh, these getting on the ground. It could be. It could be 20 years before we actually have reactors completed if we're going to, you know, move into kind of a, a different paradigm like that, having, having, uh, you know, the Fortune 500 or having chemical companies or other data centers build them. Yeah, and that's where I think Congress can come in and, and Congress should be weighing in on matters like this since they obviously formulate policies and rules and regulations. Um, so the ball is in their court. It remains to be seen if they will tackle it um, anytime soon because it obviously it's gridlocked, deadlocked. Um, but this should be an area where both sides should come together and, and rectify any problems and, and figure out ways to streamline this more. If people are interested in learning about nuclear energy, learning about... Uh, debunking, let's say, the uh, kind of stereotypes attached to it. People think of nuclear energy and they associate it with Fukushima, Hiroshima, um, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island. Is that a healthy, uh, reasonable kind of perspective to have? Or or should people who may be skeptical but interested not look to those examples? I certainly think nuclear safety is paramount. We, we can't have some kind of catastrophic accident every 15 years uh, with Fukushima, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island—that's not sustainable. Uh, I don't—I don't think the the industry can survive that. So, 
anywhere that these reactors are placed, um, the utmost uh, safety protocols need to be used in building and operating the plants. I think folks can look to organizations like in the U.S., uh, the Nuclear Energy Institute, NEI.org. You can certainly look at what France has done. And And after I finish up with this podcast, I am heading to Paris for the World Nuclear Exhibition. Uh, The French have really, I think, done the best job uh, in the world because they collect the waste, pulverize it, reprocess it into fuel, and their final waste is just such such a smaller amount. Uh, They're only disposing of about 4% of the final waste. And the French people, uh, they are used to seeing um, spent fuel coming down the road, going to Normandy to be reprocessed. So I really think you can just Google French nuclear industry and read about the history of what's going on there. Companies like Arriva, Orano, Framatone that have worked in France. Even Macron, President Macron, is doubling down on nuclear energy during his most recent campaign He said he would build five more reactors. And then during that campaign, he said, and if I'm elected, I'll build eight more. So I think the French really are the ones that we really need to hold up as the gold standard in nuclear around the world. Yeah, we don't often hear about that regarding the French, but they certainly do understand nuclear. Uh, Commissioner, is there anything else you want to mention about your roles and responsibilities, nuclear energy, before we close out the interview? Folks can certainly go to my Twitter feed. Uh, at Tim Eccles or uh, my LinkedIn um, at Commission Tim and see some of the things that's going on. You can read about the Georgia Public Service Commission and Plant Vogel is spelled V-O-G-T-L-E and the work that we're doing there. You know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we're going to be able to continue to to move forward in, in uh, Georgia and America and getting more nuclear online. I like the optimism. Thank you, Commissioner Eccles, for coming on to District of Conservation, and hopefully we can revisit with you sometime soon. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people, and I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners. And we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. 